God Hears Her. God Hears Her. God Hears Her is brought to you. Is brought to you. By our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit GodHearsHer.org. Visit GodHearsHer.org. Or find us on social for more information. And so I think we've got to get to that deeper level of saying, no, what we really ache for is to know and to be known and to love and be loved and to enter a place where we can be vulnerable and any sense of shame just scurries away. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Hey guys, this is God Hears Her with Elisa Morgan and I'm Erin Eddy. Today's program will sound a little different than normal. Normally, Elisa and I do interviews together, but she happened to run into Margaret Feinberg when I wasn't around, and we didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to capture her story. So that's what you'll hear today, a conversation with Elisa Morgan and Margaret Feinberg, mostly about Margaret's new book, Taste and See. But also, it's going to be about Margaret's story mixed in as well. Before we get into the interview, let me introduce you to Margaret. For those of you who may not know her, she has been named one of Christianity Today's 50 Women Shaping Church and Culture. Her books, especially Fight Back with Joy, have sold over a million copies. But most importantly, she's fun. And God continues to meet her at the intersection of joy and real life. So let's get into it. Here's Elisa Morgan and Margaret Feinberg on God Hears Her. Margaret, you're here to talk a little bit about Taste and See, but you know, before we do, a lot of folks will know you from your other writings, know you from your Joycast podcast, and, and want to know, are you just a foodie? <laughs> or what else is there to you, you know? I love food. I love <laughs> gathering around tables. I love having people over. There is something so beautiful and connecting and alive that happens when we gather around the table and eat amazing food. Mm-hmm. Marginal food works too, but amazing food is so much more fun, don't you think? Yeah, I've been a little bit intimidated because as you came to visit with us, I was like, well, what kind of food should I get her? Because she wrote this book and I'm like, uh-uh, I don't know anything about gourmet food, but it's not gourmet. You're really no. talking about the Bible and food and the crucial role of food in our relationship with God. And how he uses it to reveal that I think food in its essence, it's been said, is God's love made edible. And that as we pause, say that again, what mm. food is God's love made edible? That sounds dangerous. Yeah, a little bit naughty. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it starts to wreck you when you mm-hmm. start to recognize that every bite is the good gift of grace from a Creator God who reveals Himself as sustainer, as provider, as one who desires. Uh, not just to to have humans who somehow survive just as food as fuel or in a food as commodity, but this living relationship with a living God who is responsible for every raindrop, every spin of the sun, in order to have that food provided, who designed us and handcrafted us in such a way that we would need food to survive that he would not just give us a command that, you know, maybe humans could have been made to eat metal or lick rocks, but instead <laughs> I love that. creates the garden with this plethora of food and all different colors and shapes and textures, and then gives us tens of thousands of taste buds and receptors and this ability to, to interact with it, to enjoy it, and to literally have the invitation at every table we gather around to taste and see mm. that God is good. You talk about some specific biblical foods that are really modern day 
foods. You talk about meat. You talk about olives. Tell me about one of them Ooh. and why it's important. Yeah, I think one of my favorite adventures was going down 410 feet down into a salt mine in southern Utah. And when I went down, beginning to understand salt from a perspective, not that it's our modern salt where there's a blue canister with a yellow umbrella that's been chemically processed and fortified since 1924 with iodine, (laughs) but like real salt, salt that Jesus would have eaten, that the disciples would have eaten. And recognizing that in a salt mine, I began to see it doesn't look like that fortified salt at all. It actually has these incredible colors of pinks and reds and browns and those are the surrounding minerals which is really surprising it is right mm-hmm, yeah and and just how different what we're eating is and and chemically it is it is salt it is sodium chloride but but the salt that is mined is mined with its surrounding minerals and I think that starts to shift the way that we see the scripture, that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he is not looking for you to become, you know, some chemically processed, fortified iodine. No, he is looking and saying, you know, you are the salt of the earth, but you are hewn. You are made with your natural surroundings. You were, because of your personality, your background, your upbringing, your strengths, your weaknesses, all of these things, it's in that that I'm going to use you to be the salt of the earth. I want all of you. Yes. to come into this context of my world, and that's how I'm going to use you. We so often think we have to change and grow up and be all polished and perfect as women, as Christians, as followers. And you're suggesting, no, he takes us in the context of our daily. Which is so liberating because we no longer have to hide parts of ourselves from him. We no longer have to live in shame. We can actually bring it all into the light with the trust, and even more than trust, with the joy that he is going to use this to help flavor the world. I know one of the interesting things in the salt mine was the the, the chunks of salt, and I was the host was gracious enough to send several of them home with me, but some of them have these dark brown streaks. I think it's from the either the iron, or it might be, it's probably the magnesium that's in there. And he pointed out that those dark streaks in the salt are actually the ones that the chefs prefer the most because those are the ones that bring out the highest notes in the flavor of the meals that they're preparing. Oh, Margaret, and how we wanted to scoop those dark places out of us and say, because they somehow don't meet our expectations or our world standards or whatever is what's cool and popular and trending at the moment. And you're saying, no, it's really that context of the dark places, the light places, all the different places, the unique places that make us who we are that God's inviting us to bring forward. And what's interesting is I didn't realize this, but once you grind up that salt, it has a it's, it just looks light pink. It looks like Himalayan salt. Mm-hmm. And so you look at all of that from the outside and you go, what, what's going to happen? And it just becomes the most beautiful, delicious, unique tasting salt. Mm. Unique is the word. Mm-hmm. You also talk about olives and olive oil. Why those two foods? Or maybe just pick one of them. Yeah, you know, olives and the olive, if you start to look, it's one of the, I believe, the promised, is it one of the promised foods of the promised land? I don't know. I mean, it pops up all the time throughout the Old Testament and the New. And I just, I have no understanding of olives. I grew up in America. I just don't know. I just don't know. (laughs) And so my husband and I went on a wild adventure and actually traveled to Havar, a remote island off the coast of Croatia, to bring in an olive harvest with a family who had no uh, electricity. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so spent uh, several days going out 10 hours into the fields in order to just pick olives. I mean, by hand, the old no, no contraptions, no electronic devices. This is, this is the old school, been passed down for a generation's way and began to understand the, both the miraculous nature and the beauty and the wonder of the olive. We would pick olives for sometimes 10 hours a day. And by nature, the, you're going to scrape your hand. You're going to run up against the branches. And as you do, you kind of get these small cuts uh, around your hands. And, and I would come home and my muscles would ache. But at the end of the evening, I would look at my hands. And in many ways, it looks like they'd been at a world-class spa, that they had been soaking in the finest ointments and healing agents all day. And that's when I realized God provided the olive and its oil. He embedded them with antibacterial antioxidant, anti-inflammatory processes. So in the very process of doing the work of picking the olives, I'm actually receiving their healing. And those properties are not just in the olive, they're actually in the bark, I believe, and also in Mm. the leaves themselves. Mm. So how beautiful that our God, when we are to go to those, according to the book of James, to ask for healing, that we could be anointed with anything. It could have been water, it could have been mud. I mean, Mm. I can make biblical arguments for all of that. And instead, we go to be anointed with oil and to be prayed for. And in Israel, that meant the olive oil. Mm. And to be dripped, to be touched, to be have somebody interact with us in a, a physical, tangible way. Because if we're praying for healing, often our pain is physical. Sometimes it is emotional or spiritual. But that they would be so, so present, so in our inner space, anointing us with a very symbol of healing, but also one that is embedded with healing. I think about the wonder of God and his attention to detail, how much he loves and cares for us, how much he desires a not just a real, but almost a visceral relationship with us. So in the salt, you see the evidence of God really noticing us and wanting to use us exactly as we are, how he invites the real us into a real world to share our real love of God with others. And in the olive oil that threads and the olive that threads throughout scripture, you see God's presence of constant healing. Because bottom line, um, you're not alone. God is with you. Margaret and Elisa are right. We are never alone. God is with us, and even the food that we eat can remind us of our God, who notices us and accepts us and heals us, even if it's not the exact type of healing that we are looking for. And when we come back, Margaret and Elisa will continue their conversation about food, but in a slightly different way, as Elisa asks Margaret to comment on the deepest desires of a woman's heart. The things we are starving for. That's coming up right after today's sponsorship moment here on God Hears Her. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the show today, please take a moment to write a quick review and rate us on iTunes and on whatever podcast platform you listen. Reviews and ratings help us reach more people because iTunes and other podcast platforms push highly rated shows in front of more people. So if you could take a moment to write a quick review and rate us, that would be super helpful in helping us to reach more women with a message that God hears her. Welcome back to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Eddy, and before we jump back into Lisa Morgan's interview with Margaret Feinberg, I want to let you know that if you miss anything in today's show, check out today's talking points included in the show notes. You'll also find a link to Margaret's book and a link to a free resource titled Open Hearts, Open Homes by Amy Peterson. 
this resource is all about using things like food to being open to meeting people where they are. And it's available to you for free. Again, check out the show notes. All right, let's jump back into today's episode as Elisa and Margaret explore some of the deepest needs and desires of a woman's heart. You're listening to God Hears Her. What do you think women are starving for from God? I think that women are starving to know and to be known, Mm -hmm. to love and to be loved, to find those sacred spaces that, that we can enter in just as we are, all of the brokenness, mm-hmm. all of the beauty, all of the brutal, all enmeshed mm-hmm. in one. Mm-hmm. And in that place of vulnerability, it is just safe and it is love and it is encouragement and it is acceptance. It's, it's also enough love at times to say, you got more in you than that mm-hmm. or you can't quit now. So an invitation so to bring more, mm-hmm. you know, not just to taste and see, but to devour <laughs> yes. and discover, you know, to, yes. to go deeper than that. So to know and be known, to love and be loved, this is a, what I love too about what you're saying is there's an interactivity. There's a connectivity. It's not a one way. It's not just that, that I get to know. It's also that I'm known. Absolutely. I think some people would answer that question and say, women need more time. Women need less to do. Women need more resources. And and maybe all those things are true. But once you get the more time, the more resources, the less things to do, then what? And mm-hmm. so I think we've got to get to that deeper level of saying, no, what we really ache for mm-hmm. is to know and to be known and to love and be loved and to enter a place where we can be vulnerable and any sense of shame just scurries away. When have you yourself known that you were truly seen by God. Mm. You know, sometimes it does happen in community. Mm-hmm. Um, like little mirrors. Yeah, that reflect around. When we made this move from Colorado to Utah about three and a half years ago, I left Colorado kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. I did not want to move. I love Colorado. I grew up in Steamboat Springs. What's These are not my to people. Love? I mean, really. It's, it's just yeah, amazing. It is. It is. And so we moved. She to, says because she lives there. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bias. Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. So moved to Utah. Uh, husband is Leif is planting a church campus um, outside of Salt Lake City, and you know, obviously moving. Don't really have friends. Don't know where we're going to live. Struggling to be able to buy a house. All of those things. And I woke up probably a year and a half after that move, and since then, I wake up every day pinching myself that we get to live there. And part of it was the people who we met there, who were the reflections of God saying, I see you. And that in many ways, the community that we had tried to build in Denver for eight years, mm-hmm. we had in about about six months. Instant. Interesting. It was what? And part of it is just the culture of Utah. In that culture, the people who are followers of Jesus and intentional about that are highly intentional. And so when you see somebody, they'll say, oh, it's great to see you. Do you want to get together for lunch? Well, that happens in other places, and you may or may not ever get to lunch with them. In Utah, if you say, I can't do lunch, they'll say, how about dinner? You say no, and they say, how about breakfast the next morning? How about snack? Wow. That kind of intentionality, because the Christian world is not a majority culture. It's a very minority. So it's harder to hide. You know, if you want to be seen and if you want to know that God's seeing you, it's maybe harder to hide Mm -hmm. in that culture Mm -hmm. and community. You know that God's seeing you differently. 
Yeah. And so in that community, that's the places where I sense that sense of God sees me is Mm -hmm. when others see me. I think that we can have mental assertion that God sees me, but it has to be experienced. It's in community that I think so much of this is lived out. There are times that I need through prayer and through scripture to hear God's love for me. But there are other times that for that to really take root, I need to hear it through other humans who are reflecting his image, his glory, his presence. And it's the the old story about the little girl who went to her father in the middle of the night and said, I'm scared, I had a bad dream. And he goes, oh, Jesus is with you, sweet pea. Just go back and go to sleep. And she goes, no, I need somebody with skin on. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. We need people to show us. So you're saying that you feel seen by God Mm -hmm. in community and specifically in a new community where people are less, less inclined to hide and more inclined to be honest and bring themselves forward. And then be intentional about the time together Mm -hmm. because we know how precious it is. Here's another to to go back to taste and see and think about this. If we've been given all of this amazing symbolism and tangibilism in scripture about the very thing that keeps us alive, sustenance, food, a relationship with God, and women deeply, deeply are starving for being seen, for being known, and then having that be reciprocal, be able to see others and be known and be loved. Why do we starve ourselves in such a way that all of this is available to us and we take tiny little sips? I think part of it is our modern culture, the pace of life, the speed of life, the to-dos of life. I think it's an increasing nature in our culture that we are living in a more impersonal world. If you go on a social media site, a Facebook and Instagram, and you see that thing or somebody says that one thing in a little typed in message, and, and it provides a little bit of a serotonin boost. And so we're like, wow, this feels good. This feels, Until it doesn't feel good. Suddenly we see this person who has a better image of their life or their better vacation or their... And so it's a, it's a dangerous game, just, just to be honest, there are many wonderful things. Mm-hmm. But we sometimes start to think that maybe that little typed in phrase is those words are life. But I will argue you to the floor that those words are not quite the same life as if I am sitting across a table from you and I speak those words and look in your eyes and allow the words just to penetrate your soul. And so you can kind of go back and look at a screen and interact with maybe those same words of life, that same encouragement, that same hope. But face to face, there there is no substitute. And so I think in this shifting culture, which is changing so rapidly, we as women have got to become more intentional. And here's the number one problem. Leif and I figured this out many years ago in our marriage. We had moved to a community. We've moved all around, but we lived in Juneau, Alaska. And we came to this church and we thought, wow, we are outsiders. Like there is a donut is the imagery that I had. And there's in the center is all these people. We're just on the outside and we're just not breaking in. And after being there a few months, what we realized is there was nothing in the center of the donut. In other words, if you want to have that community where you are part of and you are in it and it really exists, you have to build the center of the donut often out of nothing. And that is hard. I'm just going to say it. But that means being the ones instead of saying, well, I'm not part of, I don't fit in. I don't have those people being the one who says, you know what? I'm going to help create that. This is so core because honestly, we who want to be known and loved and seen and heard and noticed, you know, we're, it's a kind of a passive stance the way we typically come at it. I wish God saw me. I wish God knew me. I wish God noticed me. But you're saying that that happens, and we pull back from that, but it happens in community. And now you're saying 
that we need to be brave enough and bold enough to initiate. Yeah, we have to, if we want to be seen, perhaps we need to see and open our eyes right who's before us. If we want to be heard, we have to become people who are really good listeners. And that that goes both ways. That is both in our relationship with others and that is in our relationship with God. And so at times we say, well, God doesn't see me and God doesn't notice me. Well, are you looking for and noticing God? Because my hunch is, is he is at work and he is shining and glimmering and sparkling all over the place. Mm-hmm. If we have that intention of moving more, be more out of that passive, well, this is what should happen for me into I am going to do this for, first of all, other people mm-hmm. and become that person. But also I'm going to become that passionate pursuer of God mm-hmm. who is going to lean in, uh, who's going to yield when it's time to yield. Okay, Margaret. You are an amazing woman, and I've known you for a good while. You sound like you got this down. Mm. You sound like, I know how to do this. You sound like, almost like it comes easy for you. There's such wisdom that it's now, it feels very bottom shelf, but I go, wait. Have you ever struggled with being seen, heard, known, noticed by God? And, And in that moment, if you can come up with a situation like that and maybe share it with us today, what's made a difference? What's changed mm-hmm. it? Yeah. You know, just a few months ago, I had just slipped into what I can just call like a spiritual black hole, just blackout. I was in in such a depression and in such discouragement about everything. The negativity in my head was just so rampant. And I don't know quite when it started or what that looked like, but just to get oxygen in my lungs every day was an enormous accomplishment. And to agree to wake up the next day was an enormous accomplishment. And in that darkness, I would pray. I would, you know, still read the scripture. I would do these spiritual disciplines and it it didn't feel like it made any difference at all. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was after several months of this that I had a, a friend who sat me down and and just said, you know what, my friend Chris, he said, Margaret, somewhere along the way, you have made agreements with the universe that are not true. That phrase, however that hits you or strikes you, it was what he was really saying yeah. in how I interpret it is you have made agreements with with whatever is around us that is simply not true to God and who he is and who he says he is. But I came home and I just said, God, I'm sorry. Somewhere along the way, like I've been doing all the Christian stuff, but it's not, something's off. I'm not connecting. I have agreed with things that are not true, that I don't have a hope, that I don't have a future, that, you know, my writing is over, that what I'm doing doesn't matter, that just those negativity points and just said, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I've been believing these and confessing these. And I started to go through the scripture and and look up truths. You know, the fact that just all of us with Christ, we are called and we are equipped and we are chosen and, and making those declarations every day. And again, a spiritual discipline, and it doesn't always work like this, but pretty soon after my husband looked at me and he said, mm-hmm. there is something different about you. The darkness has lifted off. So what did you do? I mean, the way you heard God, the way you saw God with you in that darkness Mm -hmm. was again through a person. Yeah. Suggesting that maybe you believed 
untruths yes. about yourself and about how our world functions. Uh, what did you do in that dark place in order to rearrange those truths? How'd you get out of it? Yeah, you know, I, I started literally going through the Bible and saying, God, what is the truth? What do you say about my identity and who I am in Christ? Because at the end of the day, I need, I need to clean the slate. Mm-hmm. The slate has gotten so murky and so dark. And so let's clean all that out. Let's just go to, back to the basics. Oh, wait, I am loved. What? I have a God who has a hope and a future for me? What? Wait, you have appointed good works that that I'm going to do since the beginning of time? Whoa! And and starting to go, okay. And and by focusing on those truths, all of a sudden the darkness started to lift. I'm thinking of a verse, and I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, about taking captive every thought unto the Lordship of Christ, which sounds really weird (laughs) until you put it in this kind of a context where the darkness is all about you are nothing. You have done too bad of things. You will never be used. You have nothing to offer. These dark thoughts and taking them captive. And where have I believed all of those things? You know, I'm I'm a mom at home alone. I'm a, a woman who's not loved well in my marriage. I am a daughter of messed up parents who are now beyond me and I can't even talk to them anymore. They're gone. I'll never be married. I'll never have children. Mm-hmm. I will never get a job. Mm-hmm. I will never get rid of this sickness. Yep. I will never, I will never, I will never. I will always eat too much. I will always get stuck in this one particular rut of my habit. I will always have this bad relationship with my sister or my sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. I will never have a close friend who understands me. I will never have what Margaret's talking about in a relationship with somebody who wants to be with me and really wants to give me feedback. Everybody wants to take from me. Nobody wants to give to me. And isn't it interesting that passage you highlighted, Elisa, is that we would take every thought captive. The irony being, we take the thoughts captive because they are actually holding us hostage. Mm-hmm. And we allow them to. There is this amazing dance. There's this amazing partnership in, in what you're describing about how we feel seen, heard, noticed, known by God, how we know God is with us. It is an opening to what he wants to bring into our world, a deliberate one, and then a noticing of what he does bring to us. If you were going to leave a thought just regarding the importance of the greatest urge and starving desire in a woman's heart and how she can have that met, what would you say? Hmm. I would say the deepest hungers of your heart are uniquely designed first and foremost to be met by God. That person of Jesus, he really is the one who can speak the syllables that you most need to hear. But if any human said them to you, you could never receive them in the same way as when you encounter them through Christ, through Scripture. And for the person who has the deep heart hunger, there's an acknowledgement that somewhere your needs are not being met. Mm-hmm. And we need to, we need mm-hmm. to give voice to that. Mm-hmm. And ask the question, and this is hard, kind of like the question that my friend asked me, what changes need to be made in your life so some of those needs can be met. Mm-hmm. And that may be doing a little bit less and so that you can be with people more. Mm-hmm. It may be 
trimming back on a schedule. It may be being more intentional about the people that you do spend time with, the conversations that you have. It may be recognizing that one single person is not going to meet all of your needs, mm -hmm. whether that is a spouse, whether that is a, you know, a one best friend, that it is a community mm -hmm. that Christ created us for. But to begin reaching out and to not reach out that the person you're going to spend time with is going to meet your needs, but that you're going to go and try to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. And as you love on them and you bring joy to them, my hunch is some of your needs are going to get met too. It's a little bit like you take a bite and you get hungry for more, you know, kind of a thing. Because bottom line, um, you're not alone. God is with you. He is. And he is sending other people into your life, mm -hmm. sometimes in different seasons of my life. And let me be very clear. This move to Utah where we found such fast community, this is the only move in 40-some years on this earth that that has ever happened. Okay. I moved around as a kid probably moved eight to 10 times by, you know, eighth grade. And with so many different moves, you know, the process of finding friends, connecting, it is just hard mm -hmm. and it takes time. That is the reality. And so in those seasons, still saying, okay, I'm not going to fall into the, I'm, something's wrong with me. I'm isolated. No one wants to be my friend. I'm going to turn that around and I'm going to become that to other people. I am going to become a friend. I'm going to reach out and love. And is it hard? Is it difficult? Yes. Choose good people also. Let, let's choose mm -hmm. life-giving, mm -hmm. Jesus-loving, mm -hmm. makes you laugh till tears run down your cheeks in other places kinds of people. <laughs> Find those people. I love it. And, and spend time, be intentional, mm -hmm. and recognizing that sometimes it's not going to work out. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. But other times you're going to find friends that are going to just transform your life mm -hmm. and help you feel seen and help you feel heard in the ways you need it most. Thanks, Margaret. I love that. God has made us to share in community with Him and with others. And sometimes that means we have to become the community that we want to find. For those of you who are in the middle of doing something else, or if you think that you might have missed anything during today's show, as always, the show notes are available in the podcast description or at GodHearsHer.org. Again, that's GodHearsHer.org. In the show notes, you will also find links to Margaret's book, Taste and See, and a spot to order your copy of God Sees Her, a new 365-day devotional for women from our Daily Bread Publishing. And one more thing. I've also included a link to a free resource that goes with today's show. It's a Discovery Series e-booklet titled Open Hearts, Open Homes by Amy Peterson. This is a great 30-minute read about hospitality and using our food to truly connect with other people. So check out the show notes or visit GodHearsHer.org to get your free copy of Open Hearts, Open Homes by Amy Peterson. Thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget, God sees you. He hears you. He loves you because you are His. God Hears Her would not exist without the help of Kathy and Candace and Mary Jo. Thank you so much for your help, friends. 